Railroad. The Boomtowns. A new life. And the promised land. Once upon a time. Well, we're finally here. We've done it, guys. We are starting our fourth year of Reconcinimation. Who's excited about it? Oh, yeah, me. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Macau. We've got we've got a new everything. We've got a new theme song from E.K. Wimmer. We've got a new show logo. It's it's all happening here. Uh, yeah. Welcome back to a brand new episode and a brand new season of Reconcinimation. I am John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that still takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and sometimes 60s. And uh, we're taking a look at how they hold up here today in the year 2021. And uh, we've got a big one here. We're we're starting with a bang uh, with season four. (laughs) (laughs) Pew, pew, bang, bang. You the sound effect. Shoot them up. You know, and it's also, you know, we're hitting the summertime and, and summer to me, when I think of movies in the summer, I think of two things, the big action blockbusters and I think of Westerns. Really? Does anybody else think of like Westerns, hot summer in the no? summer? I no, not really, but I'll, <laughs> I'll go on this journey with you. Let's do it. Yeah. Tell me more about that. <laughs> Well, summer sun and fun with the what? Western shootout. Riding your horses and exactly. shooting your guns, tumbleweeds and desert. They're sunny, they're hot, you know. So so is the summer. So that's I, that's when you watch westerns. I can Scorching. think of like 
like Westerns being on cable TV, um, the affiliates on the weekends in the summer, like there's no good movies on, you know, like summertime TV sucks when you're a kid and there's so Westerns, so that- cheap movies that maybe I could, I guess I can get to get to you there on that journey. A dime a dirty dozen. Are you, are you watching the, the Western Western channel number four? Is that no, no? I mean, like when you're a kid, and <laughs> you oh, only had thirty yeah. or forty channels. See, like for me, Westerns. for me, the summer, the summertime movies were the kung, the kung fu movies on the affiliates. Uh, that was yeah. what it was all about. But yeah, that's uh, you know, interesting. Some kung fu in the summer. Don't I don't I don't see that. Yeah, that's Maybe, uh, I'm that's all askew it. here apparently, but um. I remember The Princess Bride starring Billy Crystal, which is what they would say at the affiliate every time. It's like, it's not really starring Billy Crystal, but I, I know he's the Any big movie name. with Billy Crystal is starring Billy Crystal. <laughs> didn't, didn't, we, didn't we acknowledge that uh, a we few have, episodes yeah. ago? We Absolutely. did. We did. But I, don't, I think it carries. That Princess a... Bride is a Billy Crystal movie? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a Carol Kane movie. So we're talking westerns in the summer now. So yeah, well, we did it with uh, we've done it with Young Guns back in season one. We've done it with Wyatt Earp in season two, season three actually, and here we are. We're back with arguably one of the greatest westerns of all time, Once Upon a Time in the West. All right, this is our third western movie. This is at least our third Western. I was like, yes. We didn't do Unforgiven, right? Or Tombstone? No, we've, nope, no. not yet. Uh, we've not talked about Tombstone. Them. Okay. We talked uh, about Tombstone when we talked about Michael Bean, but yeah. Yeah, why right. are we not doing Tombstone? No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. We will cover Tombstone. There's a lot yeah. to talk about there. We mentioned <laughs> a, a bunch of it in uh, the Wyatt Earp episode because there's, there's a whole oh, story. Yeah. And of course, with our dear personal longtime friend, Kurt Russell, uh, and Michael Bean in the same movie. There's no way we're not going to talk about Tombstone. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I I was not part of the Wyatt Earp episode, so I oh. no idea you guys talked about it. But I'm glad yeah. you did. But you're here now, so that's what counts. Uh, you can of course listen to any of those episodes in our catalog, our back catalog at www.reconsideration.com. Um, before, just real quick, before we start to dive deep into the world of Sergio Leone. I do want to acknowledge, uh, you know, a, a couple of sad notes here, in, especially for Brent and I. Uh, we wanted to do a quick shout out to a couple of uh, professors that meant a lot to us that we lost uh, earlier this year that um, um, was really uh, sad to hear of their passing. That's uh, Professor Gene Youngblood and Brother Donald Mouton from our, our alma mater, the College of Santa Fe. So uh, quick shout out and dedication of this episode to those guys. And thank you for all that you taught us while we were there. Yeah, that's yeah. great, John. They were both uh, outstanding uh, professors. Uh, I enjoyed my classes with both of them. Uh, big loss for sure. Yeah, Gene Youngblood was, uh, for any, any sort of avant-garde uh, film fans, was... Uh, was very heavily involved in that genre in what I think the sixties and early seventies. I mean, he changed my whole perspective on, on filmmaking and just how to look at filmmaking in general. But 
my I think my favorite class with him was my uh, media and democracy class, and that was just like so eye opening for me how the media is used, uh, you know, in politics and everything. And so I mean, he was teaching that way back when, uh, you know, when we were back in school and and young, and that was decades ago. So he's uh, definitely uh, going to be missed for sure. And Brother Mouton uh, was probably the nicest professor on the campus at College of Santa Fe. Uh, definitely could talk to him about anything. He was uh, really, really great guy. Yep, uh, they will be they will be missed, and uh, we're gonna give a shout out to them and dedicate this episode to their memory. And uh, and uh, and here we go. So we're gonna talk about Sergio Leone, one of the one of the I really prob- possibly the greatest Western uh, director uh, in history. Uh, with so many classic films and and this one's up right near the top in my opinion but i want to hear what you guys uh think about it of course uh so once upon a time in the west when was the first time david let's start with you when was the first time you saw this movie or heard about it was it was it yesterday (laughs) (laughs) uh no i'd heard i'd heard the title uh, a long time ago um don't know when i kind of i I don't know, but I've never, no, I've never seen it until it was time to watch it for the podcast. So, uh, an awareness of it, you know, all those, all those big, like the, the greatest in the, you know, the pantheon of Western films, this one's always named, I think, you know? Um, so yeah, as, as for a genre that I don't really pay attention to, you know, it's still seeped into, uh, the culture and, um, and, and reference. So yeah, yeah. So you were aware of it, but just hadn't seen it till this is recently. True. Yeah. Yes. So I'm we're not coming- one to fire up a Western. I'm not one to just go do that. As you might have heard on our other Western episodes. <laughs> I think almost I hear it's all- your favorite genre. That and and horror movies. Horror movies are like right in in the in the wheelhouse. Well, <laughs> season four, that's all we're doing. Westerns yeah, and horror that's movies. It. That's so. it. Perfect. So yeah. but- so you're coming at it with the fresh perspective of uh, specifically what what that movie is looking like from from today's uh, through today's eyes. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brensky, what about you? You know, I I remember seeing it when I was younger, but at the same time, it's you know, it's it's a three hour movie and and pretty slow. The first couple hours are extremely slow. And so <laughs> I uh, I think as a kid I didn't really appreciate it, right? And so I never really went back to it until until just recently when we were getting ready for the podcast. And now, since film school and you know, kind of the veil being lifted as far as the spaghetti westerns were concerned and why they are kind of as uh, important as they as they are. Uh, you know, it wasn't until until this viewing that I actually sat down again, watched it with kind of a different perspective and, and really enjoyed it. I still think the two hours are kind of painful, but the last hour I think is great. And my appreciation has grown because of seeing the 35 millimeter print of Good, the Bad and the Ugly in school, understanding that the brilliance is in the vistas and the scale. And you're not really seeing that in the first two hours of this movie if you're watching it at home on your TV. But if you were able to see that at a theater, 
in its in its aspect ratio in its in its proper forum, I think it would have a completely different um, effect on you. And so, being able to take that kind of knowledge into watching it this time really kind of saved the experience for me. And I think the last hour, just in general, any way you watch it, is is a lot of fun. Wait, so I'm sorry. Was this the first time you actually saw the movie all the way through, or you'd seen it before? I saw it when I was younger, but right, right, it was okay. like a one and done. And I was like, I'm not going back yeah. to that. That was boring okay. as all balls. And so I was not interested. And then I never really went back to it, even though we studied the Sergio Leone movies in school. Like I never really thought to jump back in and, and watch it again until until we were talking about doing this podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of similar to, to well, both of you guys, really, but Brent specifically, um, I except I didn't see it till a little bit later on. I remember this movie. I remember there being a poster that was, uh, to me, a very boring looking poster, and that was and it kind of I always confused the movie with How the West Was Won. That I knew they were some epic western, neither of which I was interested in as a kid. Uh, so I stayed away from it. And yeah, I saw the Spaghetti Western trilogy, the you know the Clint Eastwood trilogy. Um, I liked those movies. I enjoyed them. And, but they, I didn't really get the full impact. Like you said, till college, till we had the, uh, and I forget which class it was for, if it was just a screening of it, but seeing the good, the bad and the ugly on the big screen was like you said, an entirely different experience. Um, was it, was it our Eastern cinema class? I feel like it, it might've, it might've been. Yeah. Or maybe it was just a screening. It was, coincided it was one that. or the other. It was yeah. either that class or just a, a separate screening. But I mean, it blew me away. And, oh. and really, like, you have to see those movies, this included, on the big screen, because that's the only way you're going to get the full appreciation of how they're filmed. And it really does make it and it makes it an entirely different film. Yeah, it cannot be overstated enough. Like you, it really does make a huge, huge difference. I was just saying that exact thing about Harry and the Hendersons. Like, if you don't see that in the theater, <laughs> seeing an Harry's original just print, tiny. he's just a little dude. Like you, know, I mean, like you got Lithgow for scale, but in, but Lithgow's tall. But seeing Lithgow <laughs> and Harry on the big screen, original oh print, mind blowing, mind blowing. There's no better way to to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I was just saying that. Well, it's a, a valid point. It's 70, valid. 70 millimeter uh, print of uh, Harry and the Hendersons, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gotta be. It's the only way. At, yeah. the, at the dome when it comes back. That's right. Yeah. Just to piggyback on those thoughts, John, a little bit, like going back to the, the spaghetti Westerns, I feel like, I feel like the, the dollars trilogy was more kind of more popular during our time growing up than than this one like it got more cred just because i think eastwood was in it and eastwood was kind of a big deal like obviously henry fonda was a huge deal but to to be real like when i was growing up the the thing i knew henry fonda from the most was probably either uh i mean it was i think on golden pond you know yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. that was that was it and so you know, he was already aged and past kind of his his heyday. And so him being the big draw of this movie wasn't one that kind of, I think, kept me interested. Whereas, you know, the Clint Eastwood ones, like I did watch 
kind of over and over again, but still didn't really get the what it what they were really about until until we saw that that print uh, in school. Yeah, well, well, the Dollars trilogy got so much play on our favorite uh, television channel, TBS movies for guys who like movies that's right thursday nights on a super station it's movies for guys who like movies movies the way guys like them so they were on all the time just like the james bond movie so they had they were just in our face so much more and that's a good point clint eastwood let's say in the 80s and early 90s was still one of the biggest stars in the business and right and you know was very present whereas all the uh other guys in this movie, Bron- you know, Charles Bronson at the time, if you wanted to watch a Charles Bronson movie, you're watching Death, Death Wish, Wish yeah. or any of those other Death Wish like movies. Right. Um, so you've got that. Henry Fonda was old and uh, I think was still alive at the time, but Didn't he, die? they, he passed away in the 80s, though. Right? Yeah, I think 80. I want to say yeah. he passed away in 89. Uh, right? 82. But... 82. Close. Very close, John. Very close. What's a seven-year difference? Seven and the no. yeah, <laughs> um, you know, Claudia Cardinal was not anyone that people our age in you know the eighties and nineties were really that familiar with her body of work, and Jason Robards was older guy, grandpa type uh, from many movies like Parenthood. It blew like watching it now. Well, I mean, I know we're going to get into this, but Robarbs watching it now, like it kind of blew my mind because he's always kind of been that older guy in my head. Yeah. And mm-hmm. seeing him in this role was awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, totally different performance for him. But I, let's say, I, I didn't end up seeing this movie till it came out on DVD in 2003. And. Oh. I remember I was working on a movie. I, I won't say which one. I don't want to get uh, anybody in trouble. But uh, can I say it? Time Cop. <laughs> you got to be talking about Time Cop. Two thousand three. Oh, I yeah. know. <laughs> All right, we uh, won't say it. I'm. I, I have a guest. I'm going to text it to you. Okay. If I'm right. Uh, and I was on the night shift, which meant. There wasn't a lot for me to do uh, when you're working all night in the office on a movie. So uh, we would just, you know, run some movies. We would always try to watch some things we hadn't seen. This movie just came out on DVD. I watched it and it blew me away. It was, uh, you know, I was expecting something like the good, the bad and the ugly. But this was just for me was just the next level. Um, and I, I wish I had seen it in the theater because I knew, I knew what to expect having seen, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly in the cinema. But, uh, so, and I loved it. I, I, it became immediately one of my favorite Westerns and, and there it stays. So, uh, so that's my relationship with the movie, but, um, you know, what do you guys prefer? David, I know, I know you're going to prefer all of them, but do you enjoy the epic style Western like this kind of film or, or a more, I don't know, one on a smaller scale, like, like a young guns would, would be kind of an, an opposite side of a, a Western uh, film. uh da, da, da. you know, it's funny. Cause it's like the, the vocabulary of Westerns is still something I struggle with, you know, like I think I would benefit for having to have seen this movie with having seen a, a few other Westerns beforehand. Um, 
I haven't seen that many, honestly. Um, so I can't really, I can't really say what I would prefer. I mean, the epic scale of this was was something. Um, it was a little tough to, to to hang in there with it, though, not knowing what I was getting into, and again, not really understanding the language of the Western. Um, not really, and um, but yeah, I mean, I like I like something that's a little more engaging with 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 characters. Uh, y- you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. I haven't seen enough westerns to say what I prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I get this movie for what it is, but I think I would, I can't really appreciate it for what it is um, in the same way, uh, like you guys. Well, we're expanding your horizons. That's the whole the whole purpose of this project. Yeah. Well, isn't this supposed to be like one of the last great westerns of the yeah. era? Oh, yeah. Like, like this was it. This this kind of capped it, right? Yeah. This is more or less. Excuse me. This is an end of an era, and that's part of the whole theme of the movie. That's what it's really all about, and that was its purpose. So yeah. So it's a uh, a love letter from Leone to to the westerns. So. I'd probably, I haven't seen the Dollars Trilogy. Um, I'd probably enjoy that, I think, from what I can tell. I don't know. You've, in all this time, you've never seen any of them? Not even seen, pieces? I've seen pieces, I think. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. When they were playing on TBS or whatever. Um, we got to find We got to find a screening of uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and go see that. Um, yeah. It's like, it's kind of mind-blowing. It's really, really awesome to see yeah. that on the big screen. Now that cinemas are thankfully back open, and as soon as everyone's comfortable going, David's going to be the f- David's there every week. Shaking his head, no. <laughs> You're done. You're. I, not, I don't think I'll be going to a theater for another year. Well, we'll have to have a private screening. You got a big TV over there in your office, so uh, we'll just have it in uh, over in our our uh, theater number twelve. We there should do. We should do a backyard screening, like we. I'm you know. yes down for that let's get those going again yeah yeah we'll send brent we'll send the jet over to uh the reconsented jet over to you i'll just shoot on over (laughs) um all right cool so the what is the state of the of the western in 1968 so where where are we in the grand scheme of things um Brent, are you you kind of familiar with where the state of things were at that point in time? Not not comfortably confident in the state of things. I feel like they were on their um, I feel like they were a thing and then they started to fade and then the spaghetti westerns kind of made them a thing again and then they were fading again. Well, yeah, westerns were Back then, westerns were what action movies have become now. Right. There was a know. time where they were like the biggest thing, the biggest film draw of of any, right? Yeah. I mean, they were the action movies. They were the summer blockbuster. Right. They they, they were the action movies of the day because yeah. I mean, that's the Avengers. Yeah, it's like you had your war movies and your westerns, but way more westerns than, you know, the the earliest movies made many of them were westerns and it was just the popular thing for so long but by this point you know they're really starting to wind down you've got john wayne is starting to come towards the end of his career all his you know he had done decades worth of westerns and and with john ford and and they had sort of not that there weren't still westerns being made but they had it really felt like that that 
train was coming to the station. So, um, you know, we did have some great Westerns made in the seventies, you know, with, with some of Clint Eastwood's other Western films that, that he directed like outlaw Josie Wales and yeah. Pale, um, Rider. Pale Rider and and a few others. And, and then you, of course you have great ones in the eighties, like young guns. <laughs> and then, yes. <laughs> hey, I'll count it. I, yeah. hey, look, I like, I love all Westerns is it, I, you know, I think, they they run they run the uh, kind of the gambit of 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 style and everything. I like the epic. I like the the small. I mean, I like Back to the Future three. You know, I mean, it's there like, you go. They're all for me. They all have kind of a a place. There's mm-hmm. certainly there's certainly times where uh, I'm not heavily watching them, but I'm always good to sit down and watch one every so often i mean they're they're i find them incredibly entertaining yeah me too i'm i'm personally a big fan so uh but yeah so that's kind of winding down and you've got uh the new hollywood wave uh, poised to come in at this point you know we've got bonnie and clyde's come out the graduates come out uh you've got this whole like army of young filmmakers ready to kind of take over the business and the Western is associated with old Hollywood and the old studio system and part of an empire that was, you know, really crumbling. So uh, this, this really marked the, you know, this and the combination of the wild bunch and Butch Cassidy, which both came out in 1969 uh, you know, that combination really, really symbolized the end of that era and the trend. just a quick question because I, I have not seen this, but is Duck You Sucker is that is that a western? I believe so. Yeah, right. I haven't seen it actually. Neither have I. I didn't even know about it until I started researching for this this podcast. But now I'm sort of interested because it's well, I'm, we might get into it. I don't know. I don't want to jump the gun, but it's it's not necessarily a sequel to. Once upon a time in the West, but it's a companion, right? Correct. This duck, you sucker, and once upon a time uh, in uh, America, right? Well, uh, yeah, exactly. That's like sort of sort of uh, Leone's second trilogy, although they're less, you know, associated with each other. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I just wasn't sure if that one was a Western or not, but yeah, like this... one. yeah. Oh, yeah, oh. it is. Yeah. I think I want to say James Coburn's. That's right. Yeah. I think it's also goes by fistful of dynamite. Oh, is that it's. Yeah. It's they kind of, depending where you are, it goes by either title. Got it. So, uh, yeah. And of course, you know, Leone, Sergio Leone made his, his whole career off of Westerns. He was, uh, obviously an Italian filmmaker who came up as an assistant director who worked on some incredibly important films of their day where he was an assistant director on bicycle thieves and uh, Ben Hur, uh, you know, so many, so many other films where he directed segments in, and pieces of, and supposedly he directed, I don't know, you know, parts of that, uh, the chariot race in Ben Hur. I think he, took credit maybe for a little more than he actually did, but that, Hey, sometimes that's what you have to do. So, <laughs> um, but he's in like the elite class of Western directors. I mean, when you think about all time 
greats you, you think about john ford and sergio leone and sam peckinpah and and a few others but uh he's right there at the top if not at at the top hmm. uh and he directed the dollars trilogy which really is what made his his name um he you know of course it made the career of clint eastwood and was made I want I believe it was between 1963 and 19 or, or 62 and 1965 when that trilogy all happened and you know they really were it, it's kind of a miracle that they became as as huge as they did in the states because that was a movie that started as movies Clint was doing in between seasons on on Rawhide that he would go oh. to uh, Italy or Spain really to shoot these movies and then. Oh, wow hoping they would be big somewhere. And then they ended up being just huge everywhere Wow! and created a whole subgenre of the spaghetti Western. Right. And, and, and doing that became classics on their own. And, and, uh, but le- by this point, by the late 1960s, Leone wants to move on and try something else. And he's just got his hands on, uh, on this book called the hoods that he want he would eventually turn into once upon a time in America. And that's really his passion project. And that's the movie he wants to make next. But here comes that Hollywood studio system who really wants him to do one more movie for, you know, shoot it the way he normally shoots it, but released fully in America instead of it coming out here later. Uh, And, you know, United Artists is trying to get him to do it. He turns him down. Paramount tries to get him to do it. He turns him down. Paramount says they will give him Henry Ford, Henry Fonda. And that's too much. That's too good to be true. So mm. that's the thing that gets uh, Sergio to, to say yes, that Henry Fonda is one of his all-time favorite actors. And he'd been desperate to work with him on, on any project. So if they're going to give him Henry Fonda or at least give him, give him access to Fonda, he's willing to give it one more shot. So he in turn uh, turns to his, his Italian pals, Bernardo Bertolucci and Dario Argento, both major filmmakers in their own right. Uh, But at this point we're just writers, I believe. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, Dario obviously went on to direct some pretty awesome horror movies, but but I think you're right, just writing at this point. Yeah, at this point. I, I don't think Bertolucci, I'd have to look, but I don't think Bertolucci has started his directing career yet either. But both would go on to huge careers in their own. Uh, but he turns to them to come up with a story and come up with what would be what would be engaging and different and new, yet still pay homage to the Westerns of the past. So they make the decision to do your epic sort of grand finale, a, a Western film and uh, take pieces of some of their favorite Westerns and combine them into one film and really make it, uh, you know, an homage and, and a way to pay respects to those films and say goodbye to it as well. So uh, this is what you get. What do you guys, what do you guys think about this script? Does it feel, does it feel different? story-wise to you or David especially seeing this for the first time what did you did it reach your expectations on a story level um 
for what I uh, like, for what I expect uh, the the sort of the structure of a western to be, I guess, um, you know, the story is pretty straightforward in terms of the conflict and 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 everything. Like I, I, it took me a minute to sort of follow everything, but when, like once I, you know, once I because I again I was so unfamiliar with it, um, like in trying to understand like oh who's actually working for who, I didn't mm. quite I didn't quite put it together in the beginning. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think like the script's really super solid. Like it's, it, 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 it has this slow build to this final confrontation. Like that's the whole point is like really the, the end is the ending and all this other stuff is happening. And, uh, I don't know. I just like, I was really impressed with, with it, how tight it was. Um, I don't know. It was just, yeah, it just seems like a really good script to me. Yeah, obviously these guys are good storytellers. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. they've <clears throat> proven that time and time again. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I so just to jump in real quick, I I, I also think it's a the story's great, but I also unlike David, I didn't find it as as straightforward. Like I didn't quite understand, you know, what the harmonic commands point was to the to the story, you know, and obviously it's revealed in that, in that last, in last, that last hour, but up until, up until then, like where he fits in, what he's exactly doing there, why he's, why he's there, uh, you know, uh, even, even the stuff with uh, um, uh, the female lead, Claudia, what's her, Claudia? Claudia Card- Cardinal. Cardinal. I, I didn't, you know, I mean, her coming in, at the beginning, not understanding like her relationship with, with uh, the landowner and, and everything, you know, why, why is she there? And I feel like all that kind of gets revealed a little bit later, as far as, you know, um, he found her in Louisiana and, you know, all, and kind of was pulling her out of that lifestyle or, or whatever, all that kind of unfolded throughout, but I think the big reveal at the end is the part, you know, with with the harmonica man and 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 everything. And that to me was okay. I love the twist. I love the reveal. I love all of that. But the whole time I was like, why is this dude here? What's he doing? Like what? Right. Like what? What? Like I like that he's in it. You know, I mean, it makes it's cool to have that character there. But like, I never could figure out, okay, what's driving him? Like, why is he hell bent on this, on this mission? And uh, so I didn't, I, I wouldn't call it for me. It wasn't necessarily straightforward. It was yeah. really well yeah. done and it was really, you know, like, well, paid. it's slow, but you know, the reveal is well done at the end. The pacing at the end is great. Like everything works out perfectly, but the whole time I'm like, I don't get why this guy's here yet. I don't understand. We're two hours into this. I don't know what, why you here, Charles Bronson, what's going on. You don't play the harmonica all that well. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was saying straightforward. I don't, yeah, I guess that's, that's not really, that wasn't quite the right way to say it, but I like that. It's just sort of all unfolds and come and, and, and all the meaning is revealed. Like, because I, I mean, again, like not, again for me not understanding the language of westerns like i don't know how explicit some characters in those movies you know you don't know if he's who's the good guy and the bad guy or you know you don't know what their motivation is until later and stuff i don't know if it's usually spelled out or if it's just you know it's it's a slow reveal um 
So yeah, for that's me, fair. I'm not. I'm not trying to call out the. No, the, yeah. That you're the point of view or anything. I was just saying, you know, yeah. from from my perspective, I was like, okay, that's kind of a, you know, I, I don't know how many twists or or reveals like that were being done outside of like Hitchcock movies, you mm-hmm. know, that that especially westerns. I th- feel like from a western standpoint, like that's not that was not necessarily done oh, okay. that often, if at all, really. Um, I might be wrong though. John would be able to correct me. No, sure. I, I think you're correct there. That that re- this really these kind of twists and turns and the full reveal of the story that was not being done like this at this point. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I think here and there, and yes, Hitchcock is a great example of someone who was doing that. Right. But as far as westerns especially go, no, it was always pretty straightforward. The good guys and the bad guys, and uh, you know, John Wayne was the good guy, and and whoever was the bad guy, and it was just one of these. When are they going to have their final conflict? Um, you know, one of the movies they paid homage to was High Noon, and and that's a really. Um, it has that film has its own style, uh, but it's straightforward as far as just like this build to a conflict. And that's what it always was. But here you've got this story that's very slowly being revealed or hinted at. And you wouldn't know what there's no way you would know what harmonica, you know, harmonica story is until that moment. Right. And then it's such a powerful scene. Yeah. Um, oh, it's awesome. And yeah. It's it's. And it's short too. And it, then it, everything just clicks. Like once they make that reveal, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Let's do this. All right, and, cool. And you're all in that moment together that you're realizing it as Henry Fonda's realizing it as Bronson is finally getting that moment that he's lived for, you know, yeah. basically his whole life. Yeah. Oh, and it's just like, I mean, you know that Henry Fonda's character is evil. Like he's bad, he's evil. But I don't think you understand, maybe, I mean, I guess you do, but I don't know. When when they do the reveal, to me, it just solidifies and and you know puts in concrete what a bad dude this guy is. Yeah. Like no heart, cold blooded killer. Yeah. I mean, we see it in the beginning of the movie and we see it at you know, several times really throughout that, that, that character, that, that he's that last gunslinger. That's his, that's his storyline in the movie that he represents the end of the gunslinger era. Uh, And he's like the sort of the last one standing there, but the genius, the pure genius of casting Henry Fonda in that role uh, was, it was brilliant. It was, you know, I, I compare it to if you cast Tom Hanks today, as as your ultimate villain you know you wouldn't expect it and it might be the most brilliant thing that he's done yeah (laughs) and not like lady killer's villain like no like real yeah yeah and this was a bad dude i mean the first thing we see him do is shoot a kid yeah (laughs) well and if you can i mean put yourself in the place of audiences at that time like henry fonda up to that time was i mean from what i understand basically america's like yeah i mean sweetheart for worse for lack of a better term you know as far as male actors went and he was like everybody's favorite and he was always the good guy always Always the good guy always the stand-up character and to have him have this uh role 
I mean, I can't, I just think all the people in the, in the audience just completely floored by, by that decision. Yeah. And it's awesome. And they were, they were, they were shocked, shocked at the level of it too, because probably in the commercials at the time, the ads, it's clear he's in the movie. It's unclear what people's roles are. So I'm sure people were, no matter what was in the trailers, were expecting him as the some version of the hero or one of the heroes. And, you know, when Leone, when Paramount promised uh, Fonda to Leone, that wasn't quite the whole deal. Fonda said no, you know, originally, that um, Leone had to really go to Fonda and sell it to him and he just he just really walks him through that shot of this character walking through the desert and coming into focus you know and this was the way he pitched it was this is after he shot the kid so he shoots the kid and then you see this character coming into focus and you come up to the eyes and it's and it's Henry Fonda and Henry was like ooh that's pretty good <laughs> yeah um, but still he wasn't sold he called his very good friend, Eli Wallach, who had done the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, to kind of check on Leone. And Eli was like, it's the most fun you'll ever have making a movie. You should do it. Don't even question it. Just say yes right now. So that was kind of what helped Fonda say yes to it. And yeah, that's awesome. And then he got like big into it. And yeah. And then he got into character and he showed up on set with like, I think he had a big like beard and he had these contact lenses made up yeah. and, and, uh, <laughs> and Leone was like, no, immediately like shave. <laughs> we, want, we want blue eyed Henry Fonda. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take people on this twisty ride. Yeah. Like give, give everybody those baby blues, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, they, that they see for sure. That is Henry Fonda as the killer. So yeah. Um, yeah. We see him you know, kill a kid and, you know, right when we first meet him and then we see him later in the flashback having tortured, uh, you know, tortured Harmonica's brother and Harmonica really, um, and just getting so much pleasure out of it. And then other, there's moments all throughout when, when, you know, he finds Morton towards the end, kind of crawling, uh, having been shot and crawling towards the water and, you know, he could put him out of his misery and he just kind of puts his gun away and just leaves him there to, to die. <laughs> yeah. um, just cruel, just completely yeah. cruel. Every chance he gets to do the evil thing, it's that's that's what he does. Yeah. But what a what a role. I mean, to me, I don't know. Obviously, I didn't grow up with, having seen all of Henry Fonda's body of work. That was still a little, you know, I think beyond our time of what we're, we would watch at that, at that time. Yeah. But I think this is up there, right up there at the top with his greatest roles ever. I mean, you've got grapes of wrath. You've got my darling Clementine you've got, this is, is, you know, right at the top. And, and this, this stands out above those other ones because it's so extreme. So, yeah. So great, uh, brilliant, brilliant casting there, uh, as well as, uh, you know, all the other roles, but, um, you know, the movie and we were talking about the length of it and it was even longer uh, when left to Bertolucci and um, <laughs> and uh, Argento. So uh, he brought in another writer named uh, Sergio Donati to come in and kind of start trimming down, especially once they started shooting. And like, I know this movie is going to be long, especially the way my style is, you know, of just 
you know, doing these, this slow pacing that we've got to thin it out a little bit. So uh, Donati came in and, and trimmed it down a little. Uh, they got the dialogue, uh, another American writer, Mickey Knox to come in and help with specifically the dialogue, uh, which there's still very little of anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's talk before we circle back to the rest of the cast, let's talk about that Sergio Leone style. So, so did you guys struggle with that pacing of that long, slow build to things? Because it's really about these, that long build to these explosions of violence. Uh, and, and that's, that's what the other trilogy was about, but this one is even a little more intense with that. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't loving that, but that just might be my, my, MTV, uh, you know, attention span. <laughs> no, I, 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 I wouldn't say that, David. I mean, I think, I think it is a struggle because a lot of what makes that journey pay off on the way is, or, or bearable while you watch it is kind of these long kind of Vista shots of, of these yeah. beautiful landscapes and, and, when you're watching that on a smaller screen and you're not really getting the scale of it, like, I mean, it's what I was saying earlier about yeah. good, the bad and the ugly, like you really need to see it in its true aspect ratio for you to really get the effect. Man. And that's, that's what this is. That's, and that's why watching it now, I would, I was a lot, uh, my, my perception of it was different because I had seen it and I understood that maybe now better what the what the filmmaker's intention was having been able to see that movie on on the big screen and so i feel like if you saw this on the big screen it would not feel as as slow paced as it as it does because you'd be drawn in so significantly by the cinematography and and kind of the the um uh, composition of everything and so uh, that it's completely missed when you watch it at home and it's unfortunate because it really does like it, it helps eliminate that kind of feeling of just slow pacing and everything because your mind is just racing like with with the the beauty of of those shots when when you get to see it at scale right yeah it's yeah it is it is hard to be in your own home and with every possible distraction that is yeah that it's completely it comes different with that comes with living your life at home you know right so, right right yeah i get that yeah okay so maybe if there is a showing i should i should give it a shot you, you i think 100 percent. yeah yeah I would, and i would argue for anybody to go see these movies if if they get a chance to see them on the big screen like you have to do it like they're just you just don't get it unless you see it on 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 the yeah. big screen and yeah, it's totally and worth it I'll I'll go with you for sure because I would love yeah. to see this on the big screen. If if <clears throat> if Good, Bad, and the Ugly had that big of an impact on me, then and this one I like more, only having seen it on the small screen. You know, I have high expectations for it on the big screen, and and you really see the full language, that visual language that directors like Leone. That it wasn't until then that I realized what his real or one of his real talents was is that so much can be said just using the images because it's not about, you know, he's not a big like camera movement and camera tricks and doing this and that. It's very simple. Just like letting the scenery speak for itself and tell, yeah. telling the story through that between 
the big wide shots of the landscape mixed with the intense close-ups. Right. Sometimes one leading into the other. Like you'll have a close-up right in front of the camera of somebody's face and then they move and then you see this whole this whole reveal behind them. Hmm. Yeah. The tension that's created by going from I mean, think about it. Like these vast, like like the like the shots of Monument Valley, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they're just huge and beautiful. And then you're in these very claustrophobic. I mean, you think about the the whatever the laundry or the water or the bar where where um, Jason Robard's character meets Harmonica Man, where it's mm-hmm. just like everything is just like tight and on top of it. Like, think about it. Like, it just adds like this incredible tension and like anxiety. Uh, it's I you just I mean, it's just not without seeing it on the big screen like you just miss it you know like it just doesn't it doesn't play the same yeah i like how you keep calling him harmonica man like he's a superhero (laughs) that's what i'm calling what is his harmonica man i think it's just harmonica whatever you never get his name well they they also call him the man with no name which is the same as you know character right right And, and because they also call that trilogy not only the dollars trilogy but the man the no name what is it the man with no name trilogy yeah thank you yeah so, you know, uh, there's arguments to be made that all of these guys are the same character. You know, you, you could you could make a case for it. Maybe less so with this movie, but definitely with the three others. Well, did they try and get Eastwood to play Harmonica Man? Yeah, they, well, yes. So I'm going to call him that for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> just a, just a... Um, yes, they, uh, they did make a play for Eastwood uh, to play the harmonica and... Uh, he turned it down. I don't know offhand. This is this is a couple years before Dirty Harry, so I'm not totally sure what movie he was doing at the time. But I think he wanted to not get typecast as just that character, so uh, he turned it down. They did also, you know, we'll circle back to this uh, when we get to discussing that opening sequence. But uh, he definitely made a play for. Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, and Eli Wallach to be the three gunslingers in that opening sequence, which would have been been amazing. That would have been awesome. Yeah, yeah. Bring them all in. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Bronson is nothing to sneeze at. Um, You know, a hero of canon films that we we talked about last year. (laughs) So... uh, I don't think I've seen a Bronson film. So this was my first Bronson film. No way. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen I, like even the classics like Great Escape and Magnificent Seven? No, I still have to see those. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. yeah. Charles Bronson, yeah, is coming off of those big sort of ensemble films where he's a, you know, a piece of a larger cast uh, with those two in particular. But uh, this is sort of his first. I don't know. I mean, it's still an ensemble cast, but it's totally different. I mean, he's got his own storyline and he's the major face of the movie and, mm-hmm. um, you know, really sort of the closest thing to your hero, quote unquote, that, that you'd have. Right. Uh, I, I think he's fantastic. And he, I mean, look at his face, the way Leone casts his actors. I mean, interesting faces on everybody. You know, there's not a... <laughs> like a kind of plain looking person in the entire cast of all of his films. They all part of what makes them, I don't know, feel so real is that they, all these people like look very much like average or not even average, but just like real, real people. They don't look like movie stars. Yeah. They're, they're not like 
clean, polished, you know. I mean, Charles Bronson's got kind of face only a mama could love, right? Like that's yeah. that's what they say. But that like that close up when they push when he pushes right into his eyes at the end, and then you go into his eyes for that flashback and the yeah. reveal of the story. I mean, what a face, you know, like <laughs> that's oh, yeah, to there's zoom so in. much, yeah. So yeah. much story there. So a lot of interesting faces. Right. Yeah, and that's that goes for all of his, you know, the other the dollars trilogy also that you get these close-ups of of even just you know actors who are in one scene before they're shot and killed, you know, that you get these uh Klaus Kinski is one of them and and a few other guys that keep you know he, he uses a lot of the same actors in uh, various roles so you'll see the same faces pop up over and over in these films including some of these guys so uh but bronson definitely has the face for sure um you know and he's his character's on the quest for vengeance so that's his direction that's his note um i think you get that vibe pretty quickly after the opening sequence but you don't know why and that's one of the things that's driving the story here uh jason robards we talked about just it was so shocking to see him not as the older guy i just watched uh all the president's men which was made i don't know six or seven years after this and he's definitely in that older guy mode by yeah. that point <laughs> so he's my favorite a, he's my favorite character in this movie he's great i mean he's he's, he's so a, good in this yeah, he's Cheyenne, the bandit who is, you know, really the bandit with a heart and yeah. is really wanting to move on with his life and settle down. And is he going to settle down with uh, with Claudia Cardinal? I don't you know, we'll see. But um, yeah, just I don't know. He was kind of slick and clever and gutsy and was sort of like a I don't know. He's kind of like a Han Solo type in this movie to me. Yeah, I think that's right. good. Yeah, Han Solo in New Hope. Let's just say that, uh, and maybe Empire. Not the yeah. softened up Return okay. of the Jedi, Han. All right, yeah, that, that makes one. sense. He's, he's got a hard edge to him. <laughs> um, so Close yeah, so those light. are your three standard Leone roles. So that would be like your sort of good, bad, and the ugly types. But then you've got two other characters here that um, you know are new to the group, and that would be. Uh, Gabrielle Ferzetti is Mr. Morton, who is the, he's a robber baron who is, uh, you know, made it his life goal to, to build this rail, this railroad and get across to the Pacific ocean. And, you know, he's dying of, I think, is it tuberculosis or, or bone cancer? Yeah, tuber tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. So Did you call him a robber baron or a, a robber baron. baron? Yeah. It's an old right. school term. All right. All right. <laughs> a businessman, you know, who's, uh, you know, gonna get this railroad built and he's hired Frank to clear the rail, the line of whatever's in its path. So, yeah. and whatever that means, I don't think he's out really to kill people, but definitely would use bribery and scare tactics. And I think that's more what he's after, but uh, he's dying and he's on a, you know, the clock is ticking for him. So he wants to get there before, uh, before it's too late for him. Right. And that's the crux of the whole story, right? Like they're, yes. yep. they're they got to get this land that's owned by Claudia Cardinals. McBain. McBain, yes. It's the only water 
on the on the route, right? And they right. need it for the steam. So yeah. they gotta they gotta get that land. But he owns it and he's gonna build his own station there. Yeah. Yeah. And he's sent, you know, it's revealed throughout the story, but he's sent uh, you know, Henry Fonda there to what he thinks is to scare him off and get rid of him. But Fonda immediately just goes into kill mode and wipes out this guy, McBain, and his entire family. So mm-hmm. should be problem solved, except McBain has you know, weeks earlier has gone to New Orleans and fallen in love with a, a prostitute who he has married unbeknownst to anyone. And there's your new problem and your new conflict that problem was not solved because now she owns the land technically, and now they have to get it away from her. So, uh, you know, and Claudia Cardinal is, I haven't seen, I'm not that familiar with her body of work. I know she was in eight and a half, I believe with Fellini, um, lots of other Italian films and, but this was, uh, this was the thing that stands out for me. I think she was fantastic in this in this role. She had um, she had the most emotion, I think, out of any Leone character, especially to this point. You really don't see that much emotion other than like greed (laughs) in a lot of his characters like Eli Wallach. Uh, But here, I mean, there's so much expression that you can see in her face, you know, from when she arrives and finds the McBain family obliterated and all that you can see all the emotion that she's going through and all those different feelings and, and the conflict that she has of, you know, who can she trust and who's on her side and who isn't and who's she playing, you know, is she playing uh, Henry Fonda as well? You know, what's, what's her angle to all this. So, um, yeah, she stands in contrast to all the deadly serious guys with guns at all times. They're just everyone's deadly serious, I think. Yeah. <laughs> There's no time for for jokes or levity. Well, Robards is kind of well, comic actually, relief a little bit, right? Yeah, Cheyenne. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He 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 has an energy. He has that energy to it. Yeah, that's true. I just think that her character, I think her character is very similar except like her weapons are different, right? Like are her her like uh how she how she goes about her business is a little bit different you know like she uses the tools that she has you know but i think she's kind of angling uh throughout right i mean i do think yeah. that there's some question about like okay which of these is real she seems to have caught feelings for robards a little bit and also harmonica man yeah. Um, you know, and then there's obviously things going on with, with the, uh, with Henry Fonda's character as well. She, I mean, she's, she's in the, she's in the middle of all of it. She is. She's got a, like a different relationship with each of them. Yeah. Cause she sleeps with Henry Fonda, right? Yeah. She yeah, sleeps but, with Frank. Frank and yeah. Right. Uh, and Harmonica so. Man kind of like, I don't even know what's going on with them in the barn that that one scene, but it's, I think they're in a barn or. Yeah. He like, it's like, he's, it's questionable whether he's going to rape her or not. Right. And, but he doesn't see the good guy, you know I mean? It's just like it, some of that, some of, some of it was a little like, ah, I, I, I think, I think that's meant to assert he's asserting his dominance. You know, right. with I, I don't think, you know, having seen it, I, I don't think his intention was to rape her, but his intention was to 
be the boss, be the one to show her that he's in charge of whatever this situation is. Yeah. And then there's she this can. sort of flirtation with, with uh, Cheyenne this whole time. Right. And, you know, ultimately like, who is she going to end up with if any of them? And, but she's also got this, especially revealed at the end is this whole mothering. She's like now become the mother of this whole of everybody, yeah. you know, and she, oh, yeah. She's the only character that is able to adapt and move forward. You know, she is like the mother of the future here. Whereas all of these characters are all stuck in the past. If they're still alive, you know, they, they, um, but I think she doesn't, she, she kind of gets that motherly push from, excuse me, from Cheyenne. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's like, take him water, you know, I mean, it's a little awkwardly delivered where he's like, take him water. If, If they slap you on the ass, Maybe they earned it. You know, it's like, all right, that's a little, that's a little weird, but yeah, but I like the, I like the sentiment behind the taking them the water and, and all that. But yeah, some of the writing is a little like, okay, what this, I don't know if this really uh, translates that well. Right. Well, clearly, I mean, look at Dario Argento and Bernardo Bertolucci, not the most in touch with uh, females. (laughs) And I I would say, right. I mean, yes, I, yes, I would agree with that. I mean, Suspiria is pretty twisted. Yeah. And Leone too. I mean, usually with women, uh, what you see happening to them is is not good. You know, it's it's um, things usually end up badly for them. So right. uh, this is a you know, while she's kind of going down that road, ultimately it ends up okay for her that yeah. um, she ends up sort of like she ends up more of like the hero of the movie, and everyone else is sort of like past their their time is up like they really have nothing left anymore by the end so well i um, think to your point like she definitely her evolution i think is the most significant right yeah i mean because oh yeah when she first gets there like i'm a little unsure what her angle is right like it feels like you know because after mcbain dies she's in the house rummaging through everything basically looking just for anything of value Mm -hmm. which i'm not sure if that was was that her intention always to just come and milk him for his money you know which she presumed he had or assumed he had yeah i it's unclear i mean because we don't know anything about her before that i mean yeah based on her profession I don't know. Can you make an assumption that she would be in this for the money? Probably. Safely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we don't really know. We just know how it evolves. And she sort of now she's inherited this problem and she's yeah. taken it on and is running with the responsibility by the end. So, yeah, it's it's going from someone who's only trying to take to to someone who is now giving. Right. Right. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a good character. Yeah. For 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 Leone especially, you know, like like you were saying, the female characters typically are not a big they don't have a big arc like that. Yeah. And even in films after, you know, what he would do after this and in, in Once Upon a Time in America, it's you know, it doesn't uh I wouldn't say the women are portrayed in a kind light in that movie either, which would end up being his last film. But um Capitalism is another theme of the movie and, and going back to Mr. Morton's storyline. So, you know, the, the capitalism 
paired with the death of the West. I mean, that that's really what's at, at the core here is that the Western uh, era, just like the Western film um, you know, genre is at its end. The need to profit and make money is going to supersede the need for these films to continue and this, you know, lifestyle to continue. So uh, no matter what this, this railroad is going to come through these towns and towns are going to be built and money is going to be made around this train. Uh, so everything's going to change. Uh, you know, people are going to change. People's lifestyles are going to change. Uh, and there's no way to stop that. And that's the interesting thing about Frank and Morton's relationship that Morton is clearly in ill health and Frank can overpower him at any moment that he wants to. But when he gets the chance, he Frank realizes he's in over his head too. Like he can't play that money game that Morton can. That maybe he doesn't, Morton might not have his muscle, but he doesn't have the brains of Morton and the ability right. to be savvy <clears throat> like that. So, you know, everyone is just just really in over their head and they realize it by the, by the end. So a lot of interesting dynamics between all of these characters. Okay, let's talk about, let's talk specifically about that opening sequence now. So how was it driving you guys crazy the, the first time you saw it? Was it was the pacing of it just like too much? I David, I could see you just like losing your mind there. I mean, no, I'm not losing my <laughs> mind, but yeah, I'm like, all right, let's get let's get on with it. <laughs> no, I, I mean, mean, it's it, yeah, it's a little the the fly, the Chinese water torture. Like, I mean, it's all a little much, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but like, yeah, it, it, I, I think it's, it's, it's a necessary. Like, here we, this is, this is this movie. Come on, this is how we're gonna bring you into it. So, you feel like it paid off by the end when you finally, when Bronson finally arrives and you have your moment of conflict. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like I was intrigued. You know, what's, what's, where are we going? Yeah, yeah. Did anybody else happen to? think that whoever built the boardwalk for that train station was an absolute asshat because it was like <laughs> oh my insane. god it, it was terrible i was yeah. this is gonna be this is like a safety nightmare yeah people are gonna be tripping all over the place there was not yeah. one even board <laughs> no the boards were everywhere that's a yeah. disaster of a station yeah <laughs> that was a mess <laughs> uh yeah, I I loved the I mean this was the thing that that sucked me into the movie when I first saw it is is like wow there is like nothing happening yet I'm so um sort of I don't know ensconced into the these characters and like just just totally sucked in and they've each got their little moments of like what they're doing while they're waiting for this train to arrive and yeah. I love the use of sound here. This, you know, sound and diegetic sound and music is, is such a big part of this movie, but you, it's all natural sounds. It's all, you know, the water dripping, the, um, what is the, the, the sort of the wind chime going and just over and over and over. And I think you can even hear the train coming in the distance and all that is bu building this tension. And of course the, scene with the fly uh with with jack elam which was that was written and some of that was a real fly and some of it was was a fake you know they had 
real yeah. flies like on his face and then a fake fly with the gun, but um, just great. And yet more faces that are just so memorable. Um, Who doesn't just wipe a fly off their face? Like, why are you trying to blow the fly off your face? It was driving me crazy. I mean, what? I agree. It's very captivating, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, just, just wipe the fly off your face. <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> that's not going to play on the podcast people are gonna be like what did that what was that noise (laughs) that was me blowing on my face doesn't make sense (laughs) well and and he cast you know three actors who were two of them were were like john ford regulars so that's jack elam who was the one with the fly and woody strode who was the one with the dripping water that those guys were very familiar faces for any Western fan. They've been in tons of John Wayne and, and John Ford uh, Westerns. So like easily recognizable people that um, I think at this point you're expecting will be, you know, regular characters in the movie. Yeah, you're not expecting them to be one, one and done. Yeah. Right. Right, and yeah. they, and then the third guy was in uh, the dollars trilogy. He's in a few, he plays different roles in each of those movies. So um you know all those guys familiar faces and and then uh, bronson arrives and you get the harmonica and that's your first you know real diegetic uh sound there of, of the harmonica being part of the soundtrack and yet also part of the real story being told here so it exists on sort of both levels and you know and then then that kind of like standoff between them and uh you know where where harmonica saying um or or they're saying what was it that they didn't have enough horses and then he said he's got you guys have two too many yeah (laughs) Mm, right and then boom then it all builds to that one you know that one moment of violence and all three guys are dead harmonica wounded and shot but uh is still still going and then we cut to the credits or the credits are kind of going throughout but then we just then we move into the the mcbain story so um, I don't know. I think that I, that's one of the, my favorite opening sequences in, in film. I just, I love the pacing of it and, and where it goes and what you kind of learn all through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's I like, you it could, you really could have a spinoff, yeah. like a Mandalorian type spinoff with those three guys. It certainly takes you, takes you through on a little, uh, emotional roller coaster as you, as you get into the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, let's uh, so we just talked about music. Let's talk about Ennio Morricone's score. Uh, this I think this was uh, again one of his greatest scores. I think this would solidify him. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly score is probably his most famous. But this this is the one that really, to me, solidifies him as you know associates him fully with the Western genre. That um, you know because you've got four totally different theme songs in the movie that run almost every time you see those characters. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the harmonica like theme that, that particular sound cue that they use. It's just kind of like that one kind of long. (laughs) It's yeah. It's it, it it started to get kind of like nails on a chalkboard for me where it's just like this sustained, kind of screech and but 
but the majority of the of the score i think is great it, and i you know that but that sound cue for me was like it just got to be a lot uh yeah that's i hear you there that that was like actually the first that track that harmonica track was the um was the first piece of this music that i heard because you know i grew up a wrestling fan so there's a wrestler named terry funk who was uh okay. a longtime wrestler and he used that theme song when he was like super bad guy like really wild and yeah he kind of didn't know like what he was With like the harmonica most, and everything like yeah that? he would oh, come yeah. come down to the ring with the harmonica theme song and it was like you know when i was like eight or nine it was it was intimidating because he's this wild guy swinging at fans and you know it's like what so i always associated that track with like villains mm. and uh okay. so yeah going into the movie um i had that association already I, I liked it. I like that the I like that the four themes, you know, set a different tone and and really match the character. That you get this kind of operatic kind of sound uh, for for Jill, and then this kind of like lighthearted tone for um, for Cheyenne. Kind of yeah. like almost like a jokester sort of. He's not a jokester, but like kind of yeah, wily, I like, you know. I liked his theme the best. I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but you know, Maura Cohen obviously knows, uh, knew what he was doing with uh, how he scored his films, and I, I, this is this is one of my favorite. I, I love I love the thing. I love the spaghetti western scores. Um, Once upon a time in America is a great uh, is a great score. I mean, he's uh, you know, there's so many, so many. It goes on and on. You know, music is such a big, important part of this uh, of this film, and this plays all the way through. Let, let's kind of fast forward to the ending now. Um, you know, we talked about the final reveal of of that flashback of what Harmonica's backstory really was, and it and it all the whole movie, like you, you know, it's going to end in that conflict between Frank and Harmonica, and it's right. just a question of like where is where are the other characters going to fall in the story here? But uh, what do you think of that shootout? Was that, was that satisfying or, or did you want more from that? Oh no, absolutely. No, satisfying. Exactly. It's exactly, exactly the level of, of engagement and violence and just like putting, like bringing everything to a head. Yeah. I mean, you just, Oh, sorry, David. No, like I, I just think it's like, it's exactly what what it should be. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I think you know you just sat through two and a half hours of buildup. Like it's awesome that it's quick to the point, and it's not you know I mean it's you know I, yeah it's very it's it's I think it's really how it should be because that's how things are you know like they're not a big epic sprawling things in your life you know like things come to resolutions fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah people and uh it's just sort of that like and it that's the thing it's like we like you keep saying you're reminding us like you know we we sit through these long sprawling things and then and then it's juxtaposed with sudden violence and then it's like and then everyone continues on with their day kind of thing like you know violence happens but it's not it's uh it's not drawn out you know it's yeah like there's that tension that tension gets released and then okay everyone's back to I think that's what some, I think that's, I guess that's the point of all this, like 
all the slow build it's like uh, this is what life is you know like and in, in, when between all the moments mo- most of it is banal or just sort of you know it's just you're waiting around for something big to happen and when it happens it's, it it doesn't really need to stay it just happens and then it's over right kind of thing well, I think it's a great kind of counterpart to the earlier gunfight scene that happens in the town where Harmonica is helping Frank kind of fight off his his own henchmen that yeah. that the train baron has hired, you know, and it's it's like, you know, you get that shoot that KO corral or OK corral shootout in that scene. Yeah. And so, like, when you get to the end and they are finally, you know, like he basically did that to clear the way so that he could have this face off with Frank one-on-one, right? And so yeah. it's all it's all really like well thought out and, and it unfolds exactly right. And so it's it's nice to have that kind of um, exclamation on at the end there where it's like quick, you know, Frank never really stood a chance. Like this was this was happening this way from the get-go. And harmonica was going to make sure that happened. Yeah, the whole their whole storyline together. I mean, he captures Frank captures Harmonica pretty early in the movie and you know, when he asks him his name, Harmonica is just shooting out names of all these people that Frank has killed over the years. So, it's uh, immediately it's like a ghost is chasing Frank and Frank's intimidated mm-hmm. by Harmonica. And you know, like you said, the, that that uh, kind of midway through the movie, that action sequence where uh, Morton's tur- had you know basically bought Frank's guys out from under him to get rid of Frank, uh, but Harmonica needs Frank alone, so he's yeah. actually going to help him get through that situation. And Frank knows it. Like Frank knows, like what is your game? Like I don't. Yeah. Who are you? He keeps asking him, "Who are you? Like what is your game? What are you after? What do you want?" Um, and he's psyched we out. We all are. Yeah. Well, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then when that answer finally, and he and and he says right towards the end, he tells Frank like only what was it only in the moment of death that mm. that's when it's all going to be revealed. So right. you know, and just the way it all it's so beautiful the way it comes together the the story and the music and the visuals of everything and then seeing that that horrible thing that frank did of you know torturing torturing him and his brother you know and his uh, and and hanging him like that and um and just sticking the harmonica in this little boy's mouth and and really you know giving birth to that character really yeah and then it exploding in that moment you know all just boils over and boom boom it's done yeah he stole music, the joy of music, away from him. By and that, and that's him... the theme of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the harmonica can't enjoy music for the rest of his life because it's he'll be forever associated with the harmonica. Well, that's the sequel called The Music Man, where <laughs> it's about him trying to rediscover his love of music. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's back in the big city just trying to <laughs> now he's trying to learn piano yeah yeah <laughs> i gotta play <laughs> i've gotta play <laughs> uh yeah so and just really sort of a perfect ending and, and the way it all when when um frank 
finally realize it all comes together and Frank you you watch as Frank realizes who harmonica is and it all clicks and he has like three seconds to kind of sit in it and then he's he's gone mm-hmm. um you know and and I, I like the rest of the you know the ending for the rest of the characters is very fitting for me where where it's revealed that Cheyenne has also even though we didn't see it happen um Cheyenne has been wounded has taken a gut shot in in the shootout with Morton and his guys and um, he's been slowly dying this whole, you know, while we're watching Harmonica and Frank, Frank, uh, uh, Cheyenne is with Jill just kind of having a bit of a domestic life for, for a couple of hours while he's quietly yeah. dying. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of sucks. <laughs> well, Cheyenne. <laughs> yeah. You really want yeah. him to live. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. Like you see this chance at happiness for them you know, can they settle down and live together and build this town together? And he's, he, you know, he knows she doesn't, but he knows it's too late for him mm-hmm. and that he's not going to survive this. And, and sure enough, when he rides off with harmonica, he, we see it happen. And, mm-hmm. and then harmonica becomes the last remnant of the gunslinger and who just, you know, assumingly fades off into obscurity and, and, rides off into the not into the sunset but off into the wilderness and likely never to be heard from again and who knows what the next chapter of his life is but um and and jill is left with the future and with the this town that's going to grow and and the water and and she's going to be feeding everyone so um she's the matron she's going to be the matron or the matriarch of of the town kind of you almost get the sense like she's gonna yeah she's she's taking the responsibility that that mcbain the dude uh her her husband would be doing mm-hmm. like and she's yeah she she has a whole new life uh how did so how did you guys feel when the movie was over did you feel like i don't know what what feelings did it bring up for you i don't know i i felt um did you feel like you wanted more from it? Did you feel like you No. Well, maybe. Maybe with her. Maybe yeah, I mean, I think with everyone, it's like there's only you only what you see is what you get, you know, with all these characters. So it's like it's it's uh I th- you know, I would have loved to spend more time with each of them, I think. Um but they're all you know, I don't know, like uh they all receive essentially satisfying conclusions, you know. I mean, you, you, I, I, I suppose. So I don't know. I mean, I think we touched on it. I wish that uh, Cheyenne and and uh, Jill, Jill. Mm-hmm. I th- I wish that they had ended up together and that he had not. Yeah. Uh, ended up dying, but you know, at the same time it didn't it wasn't uh like it didn't ruin the end of the movie or anything i think i think it it, it ended really well i felt like it was a nice like kind of bow tie like everything was tied up pretty clean yeah mm-hmm. you know um but if if you know and and you know who am i to 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 want to change there i think i think sergio leon is uh pretty good at what he does so yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's it's 
uh, a pretty solid ending. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I felt really fulfilled by the ending. Like this is one of those, I don't know if just Westerns or, or films in general, I felt like, like that's a solid ending. Like that's, you know, uh, that's really almost perfect that it really ends with the, the de- destruction of the, the masculine, the previously masculine West, you know, in this, in this story that it's the female that survives and takes over and moves everything forward. And all the men are either dead or have, have taken off. So uh, right. I don't know. I felt like this was a really strong ending and, and I don't think, you know, as much as I wanted Cheyenne to live, I think like him and her ending up together, you know, looking back on it would come across kind of cheesy. Well, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's why I'm I mean, not going to tell Sergio Leone how to do his job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure had he done it, it wouldn't come across that way, but like, I don't know. That's sort of like the predictable ending that in, in here you got yeah, uh, the ending you probably weren't expecting or, or, as, or the way it went down. So. Um, well, right. And it's always yeah. good to leave an audience kind of wanting something a little more, right? Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. So, so, all right. So the film is out. Uh, it comes out. We're going to talk a little box office in a second, but um, yeah. Paramount really uh, has an objection. You know, Leone knew that the film was going to be long. He knew it was going to be slow. Clearly, that's his his whole style. But the studio, when it comes out, decides to trim it down uh, for for release by like twenty one minutes, and you would think that yeah some of this slower more drawn out things cutting them out wouldn't really change the film so much but it really does um it takes a lot of that subtle story and the real character work being done because it's not like you're not looking at anything when those slower scenes are happening like you're getting complete character um fulfillment (laughs) you know with whatever is happening on screen so um, you know, there's whole chunks taken out. There's whole chunks with, uh, uh, I think, with Cheyenne's character that are completely removed. A lot of stuff with Morton is completely taken out and his character's cut way down. Uh, so it just doesn't feel as fluid at all. Um, so now we'll talk a little box office okay. because uh, the movie comes out May 28th, 1969. Uh, after having been filmed throughout Spain, uh, as was typical for Spaghetti Westerns and Monument Valley and, you know, Chinachita in Italy, uh, doing all the interiors there. So between, you know, three countries, the movie shot throughout 1968, uh, 67, 68, and uh, it comes out, it's got a $5 million budget and the worldwide box office is 5.3 million. So it's really a break even and the reviews are not good um you know there's a lot of problems with the 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 storytelling here and i think a lot of that had to do with this trimmed down version that was released because i think it was i believe it was just over two hours that it, it the the initial release was so I don't know. You know, sometimes you wish for a slimmer version of it, but when you get it, it's not 
it's it's not right it's yeah it's, i mean if that's not how it's conceived then it's yeah. like you're gonna miss uh elements that are important to the to the story yeah you're you're, you're chopping up the hole and you're putting it back together with with, with and you, you can sense it something's missing right probably yeah. you know oh yeah yeah like something something's not here hmm. yeah so it um you know, it takes a little time, but eventually the later releases of the movie, they start putting that, you know, Leone was able to get that edit back together. And and finally, the the full version came out years later and it took a long time. I mean, it took like 20 years for the street cred on this movie to come back around and it's starting to get the respect it deserves. I do think that the DVD release, which when I saw it was a big part of that turnaround because it was finally like readily available for people at a time, you know, those early two thousands when DVDs were so huge and everyone was really starting to collect them, that that was a really good opportunity for this film to get a second chance with a younger audience too, that, you know, clearly this is before our time, and if I fell in love with it, there's tons of other people that I'm sure did and, uh, you know, brought it back to life. Did the, the DVD release, did it have the full cut that they put back in the dancing scene? Yeah, oh, yeah. The, <laughs> the flash dance scene. Mm-hmm. We yeah. Call it. Uh, yeah, that's back in there for sure. Right. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, has the Snyder cut, cut not taught us anything? <laughs> Keep the movies together. Yeah, keep them the way the director wants it. But uh, let's see. All right. So overall, um, you know what what didn't age well for you guys? I think you know for me the you know the depiction of women is probably you know not so great, but it's actually a lot better than the like we mentioned the other Leone films. Uh, where you have a fully fleshed out character um, that's a strong character, but it's just some of the things, you know, women are either basically not a character or like they're a prostitute. Right. Yeah. So, but this is like, I don't know, not that it makes a right, but it's like the least offensive of, of his films. I mean, um, she's a very strong character, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But it it's still like, I mean, it's a flawed story device, you know, I think just in general, like the whole, like it works for the movie and whatnot, but, but, you know, the whole prostitution thing and the working girl thing and all that, like, I just, you know, it wasn't, you know, I, not that I think hardly ever ages well, especially in the context of, of, you know, today's kind of sensibilities for sure. So, well, like, did she have to be a prostitute? Like, what's the point of why, why did she yeah. couldn't have just been some, a, a girl that he fell in love with? Like, right. Be a college like, professor. Yeah. <laughs> a college professor. Yeah. yeah. She'd be smart enough then not to run off, I guess, to, right. Like, I mean, what, what is guess. the point? You know, I guess like, maybe, maybe the point was that she was supposed to be an edgier character that you would, you would suspect her motives as yeah. well maybe that was it i don't know yeah there's a whole yeah. other movie going on that you never see of like what what her life was and then what what her intentions are and how she kind of navigates you know like you don't have to have this the whole like actual western going on you could you could just make a movie about her 
and then dealing with Morton and then maybe like Morton's guys and, and stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. like there's a story there. That'd be interesting. And then her being, not that I, not that, not that I'm saying we should, that should have been the story, but it's just like, there's, there's so much you don't get with her in this film. Um, yeah. The, it's part of the culture of, of, right. of that era. Yeah. So that was how, how, how money was made. <laughs> That's where it came from. Um, also, there's, you know, we try to look at these things today uh, as far as racial things go. There's, you know, there's very few people of color here, um, you know, just not really a part of the movie. You know, we, we see Woody Strode in the beginning, but he's a villain, um, you know, and Harmonica is a, a Native American. We were... I, I believe he's supposed to be a Native American character, uh, but that's really it. Otherwise, everyone's white, white, white. Well, and or or you minus the people that are working on the railroad, right? Right, the, right, right. They were Chinese, right? I think they, majority, yeah, yeah. So at least there was some accuracy on that. Yeah, front. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's that's what it is, right? This it's typical typical of that time um yeah they weren't uh definitely were not as focused on that in the 60s uh as as you know we're trying we're we aim to be inclusive uh these days and and that was not the name of the game back then so you're gonna see a lot more uh caucasian uh, stars and actors and way way fewer uh people of color so that's just one of those things that it it jumps out at you now but um you know it's not something that can be changed either it's part of uh acknowledging that that is part of film's history as well so um so yeah so that's uh that's it but so what do you guys think let's do a little quick little round robin here Okay. We'll talk we'll talk uh top five westerns of the three that David's seen. <laughs> He's gonna list out five. I do this all the time and I'm like, I haven't seen anything. <laughs> Just do your best. What um you know, whatever comes to mind. I'll I'll kick it off. Okay, I'll kick it off. Number five. I'm gonna go with a little wild card here, something more recent, I guess technically more recent. In the Kevin Costner genre, I'm going to go with Open Range as my number five. Kevin Costner, Robert one. Duvall, um, uh, just really Costner knows what he's doing with westerns, and that was uh, that was just really entertaining, good, solid film. Nice, uh, Brem. What about you, number five? Uh, well, I'm not really going in any particular order here, sure, okay. uh, but but I'm going. I'm going to go in kind of. Uh, timeline i'm gonna i'm gonna go in sequential order here um i i wanted to i want to put something in there from from clint eastwood's heyday of of westerns i mean i love westerns right so like there were there were there's a lot to choose from here uh but because we've touched on it so much uh i'm gonna kind of two birds, one stone, do the spaghetti Western and Clint Eastwood and just say good, bad, and the ugly. Cause it, it literally changed my entire perspective on, on the spaghetti Western kind of what film. So 
Nice. Out there. Classic. We've talked about it a lot, but I'm gonna yep. go back to it. And 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 we may talk about it even more if we ever if we cover it here or if we cover the trilogy. Um, since we started to kind of inch into the 60s on this show with our James Bond stuff, but uh, uh, classic and one of the another, you know, one of the greatest films of all time. So uh, well, well done there, Brent. All right, David, number five, Western. What do you got? Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> all right. Cracking you your go. top five. There you Killing go. It. That's uh, that's that's a high honor there. Mm hmm. All right. <laughs> I can see David super excited about this. Uh, all right. Number four for me, I'm going to go with the greatest Western of the 80s. That's right. We covered it in one of our very first episodes, Young Guns. Nothing but entertainment there. Ugh. And I love it. And if they're doing the third one, which sounds like they are, I have no idea what that's going to be, but I'm, I'm all in for it. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Uh, for my next, so I, I also feel if we're going to talk Westerns, you got to throw a John Wayne movie in there. And so, uh, I'm going to go with one that's a little less known and it's a little bit later in his career. Uh, this was from 1972, uh, and it's called the Cowboys. Mm. And, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's really, really good. And it's not one that's talked about a whole lot. Yeah. And a great, uh, twist there in that one that you don't see coming. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you're if you're a John Wayne fan and you haven't seen that, that's definitely one you're going to want to check out. All right. So we've already run the gamut of, of David's uh, experience with Western. So he's going to abstain from the rest of the, the round robin here. So Brent and I are going to go back and forth. There we go. So We're about to run off of a list of of Westerns that David should see. Yeah. Right. So that he can get all caught up. Exactly. On that sounds great. Excellent I, westerns. And there's which, the by list. the way, the the list is longer than these. Oh my god! But, this is this is just the tip of the iceberg, and there's so there's so many great ones that you know. Obviously, we're only down to a few here, but um, yeah. I'm gonna go with number three for me. Yes, you've got to have a Clint Eastwood in here. A Clint Eastwood one in here somewhere. I'm going to put Unforgiven at number three because that's really, to me, that's his all-time greatest at all. That's his epic where everything kind of comes to a head in that one. You great cast with the, the hack, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman. I mean, there's so many great actors in that one. And it's, you know, that's like, like, like Once Upon a Time in the West is Leone's love letter to the Western. Unforgiven is Eastwood's love letter to the Western. So especially... And it's good to have seen some of his other, maybe not everything, but, you know, see a handful of his earlier Westerns. And then you could almost make a case that his character in Unforgiven is the man with no name later on in life. So right. you could sort of tie one to the other, uh, which I think gives an extra layer to it. So um obviously great film and academy award winning and and all that so that's my number three what's what's yours brent uh i'm gonna continue on my trend of taking it from a kind of a different angle and i work in animation and so i'm gonna throw in rango which i think is a perfectly great animated western uh by gore verbinski uh with johnny depp definitely worth checking out uh, 100%. That is a, um, you know, it's technically, 
I don't know. I, I, it's technically like for kids, but I found that movie just so entertaining and so much fun and such great. Um, another great homage to, you know, the Westerns of, of the past and uh, great performances. And it, that was a, a really fantastic film. Yeah, it. I think I think I think it plays really well for all ages. It does. Sure. It really does. It's one of those that it's it's like Toy Story. It's like entertaining on one level for adults and a different level for kids, but it, it works for everyone. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go classic with number two. Uh, you know, I'm very conflicted about John. I'm also conflicted about Clint Eastwood as human beings. Um, so it's much harder for me to enjoy a lot of the John Wayne ones. Um, but the ones that I do... I really do. Um, and I was, I was going to choose between, I, I, can I do a tie? Is it possible? Sure. <laughs> yes. All right. Tied at number two, I'm going to go the searchers and the man who shot Liberty Valance. So, uh, you know, both uh, John Ford films, two of his best um, John Wayne, a little bit of a different angle with the searchers that he's your lead, but he's not really a good guy. Um, that he's openly racist and they're kind of calling that out. <clears throat> and in the man who shot Liberty Valance, some really great storytelling techniques and point of view kind of Rashomon uh, style, a little bit of what really happened in this one incident and uh, what it triggered for, for his character and for uh, Jimmy Stewart's character for the rest of their lives and how they were affected. So I'm going Ty, uh, but that's, that's all, I'm, all I'll do for John Wayne. So. Nice. I, uh, it's funny, your list. Be, I mean, it's a great list. It's also, when I was putting together my list, I was like, which ones is John probably going to say? And I knew The Searchers was going to be on there. Uh, and I knew that, that Unforgiven would be on there for sure. Like those two, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, Open Range, I was surprised by, but that's a great movie and great call. Uh, I'm going to, uh, again, I'm, you said you were going classic on this last one. I'm actually going to go more recent mm. uh, for my last two actually are kind of more recent. And when I say recent, I mean within the last decade. Um, but I really enjoyed The Revenant. Recently, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. 2015. And yeah. I mean, most of it is I'm really, really uh uh, like Hugh Glass, the character that that movie is based on is just like really compelling to me. And, and the, and the kind of the, his story of being attacked by a grizzly and being left for dead and, and pulling himself back into civilization, basically by his friggin' chin and, and one arm, you know, I mean, it's like kind of mind blowing. And it's a story that I heard well before the Revenant, came out but but i think that it's really well done telling that story in that movie and i i enjoy it quite a bit yeah great call um yeah probably the best modern uh you know modern day western i would say that's that's uh, i love the revenue another one out here in a minute we'll see oh okay all right let's see what you got i'm gonna do uh Mine, and it's a film we covered uh, very recently uh, here on Reconsidimation. In fact, we covered it today. Uh, <laughs> it's Once Upon a Time in the West, my all-time favorite Western. Um, it's, uh, I'm going to say, it, it's a near-perfect film. I enjoy it every time I watch it. So, uh, And if you 
want to hear us talk about it, just rewind uh, the last like hour and 40 minutes and you can hear it all over again. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a good one. Um, all right. My last one here, uh, I I'm going more recent again, uh, within the last decade. And, um, because I'm looking at this from different angles, because I do enjoy, like I've said a couple of times in this, in this episode, I do enjoy Westerns just in general. I mean, there's a handful, there's hundreds that have not made the list, you know, like we could get into kind of comedic versions like Silverado and, mm -hmm and things like that, which I think are fantastic. But I'm going with kind of a horror twist and I'm gonna go Bone Tomahawk. With oh, nice. Yeah. You got, well, we know why. I mean, there's one reason. Kurt. It's Kurt. And it's, and it's awesome. Yeah. That, the, he, he makes it even more awesome, but it, it's, I think it would be awesome any way you cut it. Like, I really like that, that story. Yeah. Um, He's so great, kind of perfect as that sheriff. And but the violence in that movie is whoo, wow, yeah, there's some shocking things in that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, excellent film, excellent film. If you're a Kurt fan or a Western fan, it's or a, a it really fan. is, or a horror fan, it's a must see. Wow, uh, but there's so many, you know, like picking what angle, what era you, you enjoy with Westerns, there's you know, if you like the classics, there's, you know, there are a handful of John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart ones. The Man from Laramie is a great film uh, going way back to the 20s and 30s and beyond. Uh, you've got your your Silverados, your Blazing Saddles, your more kind of lighthearted things. Uh, of course, we talked about Wyatt Earp and Tombstone in the 90s and kind of died out there for a while. And, and uh, 310 to Yuma, both versions uh, really good films so mm -hmm. um, you know if you want to if you're interested in getting into westerns there's a couple of angles you can come from so you can always uh, you know check in with us and we'll give you some pointers so yeah um, I would say of, of all westerns the only one that I would probably avoid is cowboys versus aliens that's not good not I would good. stay away from that it's just disappointing yeah, it could. It, it, I was so excited by it, especially with yeah. the cast in that, and it looked so great, but was not. So yeah, yeah steer Sorry clear of that. that one. I did not see that one. Yeah, yeah, you didn't. You didn't miss much, but. No. Um. So yeah. So that that uh, that's gonna wrap it up on our Western talk. Uh, I'm so excited. We're kicking off season four with Once Upon a Time in the West. We've got excite an exciting and interesting lineup coming up in the next couple of months. We've got some curveballs we're gonna throw at you. We're gonna we're gonna be genre jump jumping uh, all over the place, and it's gonna keep things very interesting here at Recon Cinema Studios. Uh, so stay tuned all summer long. Uh, we're gonna have lots of fun here. Uh, I want to say a quick shout out and a thank you to our good friend EK Wimmer for our brand new theme song, and uh, don't forget to check out his podcast Laser Graves uh, anywhere you listen to your podcasts and thank you to curtis moore for the poster as usual and the brand new logo which you can find on our social media accounts uh we're at reconsidimation podcast on twitter facebook and instagram uh you can find us at reconsidimation.com check out our back archives uh don't be afraid to drop us a line check in with us uh give us a rating and a review on apple podcasts or wherever so it always helps the profile of the show. So uh, uh, that's all I've got. You guys got anything else before we wrap it up? 
I got I gotta go. I got a bunch of movies to watch. I gotta yeah. go home. I gotta <laughs> get home. List. Yeah, we just oh had God. an assistant, uh, <laughs> Franklin, come in here with uh, 17 VHS uh, tapes for David to watch on his VCR machine. In my <laughs> in the back of my limo. <laughs> You're That's stretched right. in the hot tub. In the, the hot, hot tub, tub in the limo. limo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm take the long way home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Watch some movies. You've got to go. You, you're going to have to watch all those. You're going to have to leave here, drive through Monument Valley, and all the way back. And and that's you're going to have to fill all that time with watching. So it's the only way to do it. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. We'll stay tuned. Uh, we will see you next time on Reconsidimation. Take care. Bye now. This whole business is not about equality, it's about power. Or, to put it another way, it's about equality so long as we define that as power. What kind of power? The power to define the context that, that establishes the reality in which we want to live. I think what feminists want, I think what all the minority groups want, I think what uh, environmentalist reformers want is not just access, but the power to control the meaning context that defines the reality that you see and the reality that you want to live in. What this means then is that we, we want access to the power to create new contexts because it's precisely of the dominant context that defines our actions today that is the problem, I think, and it's the, pro it's the reason we're asking for access. I'm sick of hearing about public access. I want that to become meaningless by, have, by having every channel a public access channel. Every channel dedicated to a particular subject or class of subjects, and everyone from you and me to CBS can program that channel so long as we address ourselves to the issue to which it's dedicated. We already have complete saturation. Saturation only refers to one voice speaking. When many voices are speaking, you don't call it saturation. You call it conversation. So saturation is the is the corporate media, which are all one voice, saturating the world with this commercial message, with this propaganda. But if you, so that's so. But if you speak of the internet, that's not saturation. That's communicate. That's conversation.